in the Beninging. Welcome back to another episode of Life in Paradise Podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I'm your host, Brandon Hopper. Today is Sunday, March 26, 2023. It is about 4.30 in the p.m. my time. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with and others you won't, and I am perfectly okay with that. Because if there's one thing we can all learn to do better, it's to disagree without being so dang disagreeable. And while I may sound very disagreeable at times, it's just a persona. When I communicate with people in person, I'm not quite as harsh, you know? I may feel a certain way, but I don't talk a certain way when I'm talking to people. So I, I listen to each podcast when I'm finished, and that thought popped in my head. I thought, you know, I talk all this talk about being friendly but I'm ranting for like an hour and a half. So that's where I'm coming from. I like to communicate about differences of opinions and I think it's okay to laugh at them. And you may disagree entirely, but I promise you, I do not care. I don't care what people think about me. I have finally gotten to the point, and I know that there's a lot of teenagers who say that, that they don't, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Well, when you're 17, you don't know enough to say that. But I feel like when you're in your mid-40s, it's kind of a different story. Anyway, I'm rambling in the intro, which I'm not supposed to do. If there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I do not do pre-recorded intros. Anyway, moving on to what you all have been paying for. Sit back, relax, and let me control the neon lights underneath the truck for about the next hour, hour and a half. I don't know about where you are, but where I am, spring is finally here. Before I get started, I'm going to apologize for my voice. It's a little bit raspy. I'll probably be doing a lot of pausing and throat clearing. So if you hear some chopped up mixes, that's because it's me cutting out my loud, obnoxious throat clearing. But yeah, spring is here. The birds are out. They're singing. It's sunny. It's humid. It's warm. I've officially moved all of my inside plants outside for the summer, and I'm ready to go. I woke up this morning, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a lot of stuff done today. I'm going to be productive. And then I made myself a waffle and some bacon and a big old cup of coffee. And then I thought, I am going to be lazy <laughs> for a little bit. So I did. I watched uh, some Netflix about the Bernie Madoff scandal, and I kind of dozed off. 
And then I woke up and I thought, okay, all right, enough laziness, time to get some things done. So I've been doing chores for the last few hours. And thank goodness for this podcast because it allowed me the opportunity to say, okay, I can't do any more chores. I got to go record. I got to do my recording. So here I am, another week, another recording. Lucky you. I know most of my listeners know me some, somewhat well. I say most. I don't know. There's a few of my listeners who know me pretty well. Some of them have known me my whole life. A lot of them know that one of my least favorite sayings at the brewery, for those of you who don't know, I co-own and co-operate a brewery in South Texas. And so we get a lot of people come in that have never had beer before. Never had, Sorry, they've never had craft beer. They come in and they order a Bud Light or a Coors Light or a Miller Light. We say, hey, we don't have that. We make our own beer here. And then after like the the confused look and the head cocking and they go, wait, what? You, you make the beer here? Yeah, we actually do. We have a big production facility in the back where we make our beer. You see, it's this new thing called craft beer. It started in about 1995, if you haven't heard about it. Okay, that's just me being a little bit cheeky. I don't really say all that, but that's kind of what I think it. And so the reason that I say all this is because one of the things that you'll hear anyone who owns a brewery attest to, okay? Somebody walks in. They try to order a Michelob Ultra, or as Mayor Sylvester Turner says, Michelob Ultra. I'm still going to find that clip. Don't give up on me. And so after someone orders a Michelob Ultra, I say, we don't have Michelob Ultra, but I do have something that's similar. Here, take a drink of this. And then I proceed to pour our number one selling beer, which is an ultra light lager, which is the same style as Michelob Ultra and all the blank lights, right? They take a drink and they go, huh, that's actually not that bad. And if you think about it from, from my perspective, the guy who put all his life savings into making that stupid beer and you hand it to him and he drinks it and he goes, that's actually not that bad. It's kind of insulting, right? You expected it to be bad. And I get it. There's lots of bad beers out there. There are lots of bad beers that people don't like. I get it. But man, try to just go, go into tasting something new with an open mind. And so last week I played a clip. It's actually not that bad. And that clip is taken from one of my favorite YouTubers named Meet Kevin. And Meet Kevin is a stock financial analyst real estate guy. And he, he shares all of his knowledge. He's a really good guy. And so when you hear those clips from him. It's actually not that bad. That's, that's because it, it weaves into my life, right? I was watching the video and I heard him say that. And I thought to myself, dude, I got to capture that. Because that's something that I hear all the time. That's actually not that bad. It's actually not that bad. It's actually not that bad. And so those are, I'm going to try to do my best to explain where all these little clips come from and how they relate to my life. So when you hear it's actually not that bad, it'll fit into the subject at the time. But that's a derivative. That's where it came from originally. You cannot stop Brendan. You can only hope to contain him. You know what I was thinking about the other day? I was thinking about how many weird things or how many things that are going on in the world today, especially our country, that we would have considered extremely abnormal and unacceptable 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, maybe even less. Because we can all admit 
that we do things today that in the past seemed unthinkable, right? Some simple examples that come to mind are smoking cigarettes indoors, in the doctor's office, on airplanes, right? That used to be normal. If you would have walked up to somebody in the early 1970s and you would have told them, hey, one day you won't be able to smoke anywhere in public in a closed environment. They'll call you crazy. They'll say you cannot take away our freedom. You cannot tell me where I can and can, cannot smoke. Oh, but they can and they will and they did, right? Remember, restrictions and regulations never get lifted. They only get tightened. I say never, but generally, things just get tighter and more constrictive until eventually we'll live in a completely controlled socialist environment where the government has all the power the people don't have any power, unless there's a rebellion first. And I know there's somebody out there right now who's saying, Oh, Brandon, you're so extreme. You always say how it's going to look in the end times. But what am I looking at? I'm looking at history. I'm looking at how things have gone and how things have changed. And if we look at history, we can admit, or we, I guess we could argue, but we would probably both admit that we are continually adding regulations to things. We're making more rules, more structure. Well, unless that changes, eventually we will have twice the number of rules that we had today. And then we'll have four times the number of rules. Eventually, there will be so many rules that there will hardly be any decisions that we can make on our own. And some people call this progress, right? Oh, we're just making the world a safer place for everyone. But the drawback of that or the, the downfall, the unintended consequences that you're taking freedoms away from people. I don't know who said it for sure. I think it was Nathan Bradford or Thomas Jefferson. Somebody said, Anyone who is willing to sacrifice safety for freedom deserves neither. And I really wish we would teach these types of things to people in school and, and stress the importance of, of maintaining freedom. Because anyone who wants a rule imposed is willing to give up some sort of freedom. Now, I'm not saying we should go anarchist and abandon all rules. You see, that's the problem that we live in today. Everyone just assumes that you are one side extreme or the other. You can't be in the middle anymore. And this is the, this is the doings of social media. I'm 100% convinced. Why am I convinced of that? Because the social media companies make money when we fight with each other. So what do they do? They put more things in front of us who make us want to fight with each other. You probably would too if that's how you made your money. In the meantime, I have been kicked off Twitter. <laughs> that's a different story. I feel it was completely erroneous and out of context. But you know what? Mr. I'm going to pay $44 billion to maintain free speech has now kicked me off Twitter. And I'm not mean. Sarcastic, sure. But I don't, I'm not mean. Anyway, that's a different story. Going back to my original point. What is it that we're doing today that we'll find unacceptable in the future and what will we do in the future that we will find or we would have found unacceptable today? An example of that would be something like, now, don't get your panties in a wad, okay? Don't get all offended. I know there's certain things that people don't like people to talk about, but we're going to talk about them anyway because that's why you're here, okay? So 
the whole trans thing. Now, I don't spend a lot of time talking about trans people because in the in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge issue in our country. That's just my opinion. You know what? You can have your own opinion. You can think that trans issues are more important than anything else, and that's okay. That's what makes the world go round. In my opinion, we shouldn't spend too much time talking about it, at least not fighting about it, because it doesn't matter to the average person. Now, if you are a trans person and you like to dress up like someone from the opposite sex, then yes, I can see why it would be a big deal to you. In this country, it's a very small percentage of people. The number is growing quite considerably, which is kind of odd to me, but it is. But if you look at the number of people who claim to be trans, it's it's going exponential, right? Now, there's we can theorize as to why that is. That's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is just to say, like, hey, this is something that wasn't acceptable 20 years ago. It's acceptable now. There's no denying that. I don't care how much you love trans people, the trans movement, the trans world, the trans missions and everything. You can't deny that, that it was unacceptable socially to be this way 20, 30 years ago. And as we've gone through time, not only has it become more acceptable, but it's something that you are... If you're not, if you don't accept it, if you are, if you are still of the opinion that it's odd and, and it makes you uncomfortable, then you're whatever. P- pick your label, some kind of phobe, some homo zeno, whatever phobe. You, you get a label, right? Okay, so what could be the thing that we're doing today or we're not doing today that will be acceptable in the future? And I've spent a little bit of time thinking about this, not a lot of time, but a little bit of time. And I hate to say it, this is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. You're not going to want to hear this, but you would have said the same thing 20 years ago when I told you that there was a group of people who were fighting to make it okay for children to chop off their wieners and mutilate themselves, okay? Now, you would have called me weird and just... You know, you know the reaction whenever you say something that's like way out of line and people just look at you like, um, okay, uh, you're going to go there? Yeah, I am. I'm about to go there, okay? I think the thing that will be acceptable 30 years from now is straight up pedophilia. I know. I know. It sucks. It's so weird. It's so gross. And listen, when I say acceptable, I don't mean just like by everyone, Okay. I mean that there will be a small group of people who are pushing for advocacy and rights of people, of little children, to be able to have sex with grown adults. Because if you look at what we're doing now, there's a group of people who is saying, these children have a right to determine their sex from a young age, okay? So you're already saying that this child, this innocent little child who should be playing with G.I. Joes and Barbies and whatever it is they're supposed to be playing with, are encouraged to to mutilate themselves permanently because of whatever, fill in the blank. Typically, it's the parents, right? The the parents talk them into it, coax them into it. That's just my opinion. You may think that a five-year-old has the ability to determine its own gender. That's your decision and your opinion. Mine is not. Mine is I think that they are coaxing kids into this. These parents are lost. They're confused. They're sick in their head, and they need to find acceptance, and they need people to to cheer them on and to support them because they, in their own heads, are messed up. 
And I know it, it seems odd to even say that. It's disgusting. It's dirty. But I really do. I think, and I know there are some small groups. I know one person right now who's listening going, there already are. They're, they're already out there. They're already out there. I know exactly who he is, but I'm not going to say his name. Imagine going back in the 50s and going to the military leaders, the generals and the sergeants, and the guys that are sitting there at their big executive desks and their decorated uniforms, smoking $100 cigars, talking about how they're going to blow the hell out of the commies, okay? Imagine going to those guys and showing them a picture of this freak show that's in the military or whatever that wears dresses, all right, this guy. All right? And, and I don't care if that offends you. I'm sorry, but that's just my opinion. You may think it's normal for military generals to wear dresses. I don't. I think it's a freak. I think we're electing people or we're putting people in positions for the wrong reasons. And I think, you know what, I would be willing to bet it is going to come back and bite us in the ass. One day, we're going to pay for these stupid mistakes that we're making. Do I think someone who dresses up like a woman can lead the military? I mean, hypothetically, sure. If it makes you feel better that I say yes, then we'll just pretend that I say yes. Realistically, do I? No. You know why? Because no one's going to look up to them, right? To be a leader, you have to have people who want to follow you. You have to have followers. Now, the guy who dropped out of school at 17 but was really good at fighting and liked physical combat and wanted to, to dress up with combat boots and pretend like he was in the military his whole life and he quit school and he went and joined the Marines, that guy is who you want fighting for you. That's the kind of guy you want to go to war. That is not the kind of guy who will look up to someone wearing dresses or someone wearing high heels. Why are we doing this? I do not know. I really do not know, but you're going to see the backlash of this. I honestly think it all goes back to virtue signaling. Si signaling. Oh, oh, hold up. I'm going to come back to virtue signaling, but first I got to play this. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, in the, in the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah, in the, in, in, uh, in the in in the beginning, yeah. In 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 the beginning, in the beginning, in 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 the be in in the beginning. I don't know if you've ever heard that clip before. <laughs> this week was the first time I ever heard that clip. Apparently, it's very old, like five years ago. It was shared to me by my cousin Harry, the president of South Africa, the president of the entire country, trying to read the word beginning. <laughs> and listen, I'm not here to laugh at people trying to learn English because I could never speak Afrikaans or any other language they speak. But if I did and I couldn't get it right and I was standing up in front of a bunch of people, I wouldn't care if you laughed at me. I really wouldn't. I would not care. I would make a joke out of it. I would ask for help. So because of that, I feel comfortable laughing at this kind of thing, all right? I respect this guy for trying to learn English, okay? I just know that if I was a president of a country, I would make sure that I could read what I was supposed to read before I got up and tried to read it. So I'm going to hang on to that clip. You'll probably hear more of it. But beginning is a tough word. I get it, but it's still funny to me, and I don't care what nobody got to say. 
okay, virtue. The word virtue signaling made me think of that clip. That's that's how my mind works. Okay, so I think all of this decisions to to put people in the places of power just goes back to the virtue signaling thing. This is why we got the the midget, left-handed, contortionist, lesbian, immigrant, black woman for the Speaker of the House. Now, I don't care that she's all those things. I do care if we select her because she's all those things. Does that make sense? That's all I'm trying to get at. If that girl was amazing and articulate and smart and knew her content and, and could handle the questions from the press like Kaylee McEnany could, I would have no problems with her. I wouldn't be making fun of anything, okay? But she doesn't. And she's proven to me that she was selected for the wrong reasons. How do I know that? Because she doesn't have the skills necessary to complete the job that she's being paid to do. So, yeah, I don't know. I encourage you to think about what you think will happen in the future that you would have been able to go back to the 2010-2020 version of you and, and blow your mind away. You know, because that's what's coming. We we have seen throughout history that things continually to change. Things continually to change away from what we think is normal, right? In the 1930s and 40s and 50s, they wouldn't even show people sleeping in the same bed in their bedroom and the TV shows, okay? Think about what they show now. It's harder to think about what's off limits anymore. Imagine if you would have gone to the producers of, of Leave It to Beaver and explain to them the things you would have seen on the show Dexter, right? So these are just things we have to be cognizant of. We have to be aware of them. We have to understand that, yeah, things are going to change. Things are going to get squirrely. If you don't determine how you feel now, then you you can just change with the whim. And and to me, I don't understand that. I don't I don't understand loosening of morals or or flip flopping on what your values are later in life okay i understand that socially things become more acceptable but just because things become more acceptable socially doesn't mean every single person has to buy into it i think homosexuality is also a good example of this it wasn't it wasn't something that we talked about frequently in the 70s and 80s and even in the early 90s right but now it's not a big deal and and listen listen when it comes to morals and values it's a tricky thing right it's a tricky thing because we're talking about whether you are born with something or whether or not you chose to be it. And that's something that we haven't determined yet. We, we can't agree on that. So all in all, I get that social norms change. Now, what I don't get is people accepting things. And, and this mainly pertains to other people, right? If you choose to, to do whatever with your own life and your own body and in, in your own bubble and you're of age and sound mind to make those decisions, I don't care. I don't care what you do. I don't care who people sleep with. I don't care what they do in their spare time. As long as you're not stealing, robbing, destroying, and hurting people, I don't care. You do whatever you want to do. But don't come to me and tell me that I have to make an exception for it or I have to, I have to accept it. Because maybe I will and maybe I won't, but that's the decision of the individual. That's something that this country was founded upon, was the individual's decision and, and how to accept or reject things is a personal choice. And I feel like it's important that we have to maintain that, right? I feel like it's important that, that people who want to conserve the values of their 
predecessors have the option to do that. And I don't think it's fair to force progressivism down the throats of people who don't want to change. I also don't think it's fair to force conservatism down the throats of people who always want to change. That's why it's best if we just leave everyone alone and let them operate how they want to operate. As long as you're not being harmful to anyone, then let them do what they want to do. Now, when I say harmful, I don't count speech. I don't think speech should be regulated. I think you should be able to say whatever you want to say, no matter how vile and nasty and disgusting and disrespectful. I don't think we should would, should monitor that or control it. I don't think it should be illegal to even threaten someone. I don't think it should be illegal to say, I want to kill you. I'm going to kill you. That's not, we can't. We have, we if we start outlawing phrases and words, it never it never ends. It'll just keep getting worse. Then before you know it, we're outlawing thoughts. We're we're gonna we're gonna have the technology to know what people are thinking, and we're gonna say, "Hey, you just thought a bad thought. You're going in timeout, or you're gonna get docked money, or whatever the case may be." Th- these things just lead to something else down the road that we can't conceptualize yet because we don't have the technology to even to link two things together. And with that, I will end this segment entitled, let's see, what did I call this thing? I called it, uh, what's the next stupid thing that's not acceptable? <laughs> How about some Sheila Jackson Lee math? Give me, give me that math problem, she Jack. 31% of black children live in poverty compared to 11% of white children. The natural average is 18%, which suggests the percentage of black children living in poverty is more than 150%. More than 150%. More people, more black people live in poverty than people who actually exist. These are the kinds of people we're electing. These are the kinds of people we're electing to represent people who need representation the most. This person right here, Sheila Jackson Lee, is getting ready to swap with the mayor of Houston. She going to be the mayor and he going to be the congressman. We're going to see how that works out. It'll be fun. It'll be fun watching it all go down. Speaking of fun, you know what's not fun? Flying on airplanes. Now, I know I briefly talked about this last week, but here's something that I wanted to readdress. Actually, I didn't even bring it up. But for those of you who remember traveling during COVID and all the flight attendants were the mask boss ladies that love to enforce the mask, and okay, that's fine. Your neighbor would tell you to put the mask on. Everybody around you telling you to put the mask on your face so they don't die even though we're all cramped up in this little metal tube with amazing air filtration systems, but that's a different topic. So now when you're on the plane and they're going through the whole spiel about the oxygen mask falling down from the top and you're putting it on yourself before you put it on your baby and the bag won't inflate, pull it to s- tightly to secure the oxygen flow. Now, when they're going through all this, they tell you, Although masks are now optional on airplanes, if you do choose to wear a mask, please remove your mask on your face before you put the oxygen mask on your face. And I just, I hear that, and I think to myself, man, people are so dumb, they're so stupid, that they have to tell them to take off the face diaper before you put on the oxygen mask. They also make sure to give a disclaimer about, please respect the but the decisions of others who choose to wear face coverings, right? They didn't say that during COVID. They didn't say that for the anti-maskers like me. They didn't say, hey, please be considerate 
to the guy next to you who doesn't want to be breathing in spit and slobber and snot and hot air for three hours. So be considerate of him and his decision to not do that and let him not do that and eat his stupid peanuts and drink his cranapple juice in peace. They didn't do that. And it's because the airlines are owned by the government. As much as it sucks, as much as we hate to talk about it and hate to hear it, they get subsidized so heavily by the government. The government gives them so much money, whether it's flying cargo, flying people, or subsidies so the airlines don't go broke. Now they have to do everything the government says. And if you remember, the government was very, very adamant on making sure that everyone wears a mask, wear your mask, even though Fauci changed his mind three or four times along the way. And it's just odd to me, that's all. It's just odd to me that the, the people who talk about acceptability and acceptance and diversity are the first people who wouldn't tell you to be nice to your neighbor who didn't want to wear a piece of sweaty, stinky, slobbery cloth on his nose and mouth when he's flying in the airplane. They didn't tell you that. But they do tell you now. They do tell the people who don't wear the mask to be nice to the people with the mask on their face. Ugh, what are we doing? How about this? How about this? How about everyone be nice to everyone, okay? How about you respect the person who, whether they want to wear the mask or don't wear the mask? How about you be nice to the people in the dress, okay? You be nice to the man who's got his wiener tucked between his legs because he wants to dress up like a woman. Be nice to him, okay? Be nice to the man who doesn't like the man with the wiener taped up between his legs. Be nice to him, too. I think the things that people miss is that someone can have the idea that we should not normalize the behavior and still respect the people who perform that behavior. This is something that I see the right do and the left does not do. And I try to look at this from a subject, no, from an objective. I always get those two mixed up. From an objective point of view, I try to look at it and think to myself, okay, do I think that we should run around and tell everyone that it's okay if you want to wear high heels and cut off your wiener when you're six? We should all just do it. No. Would I still be nice to a guy who chopped off his wiener when he was six and he walks around in high heels in a dress? Of course I'll be nice to him. This is a concept that the left doesn't seem to understand. And I think to myself, why don't they understand it? Because they don't do it. They don't behave that way. If you're a Trump supporter, they want to come tear off your hat and throw it on the ground and stomp on it. They want to spray you with pepper spray, right? I don't see the right behaving this way. I don't see Antifa version of the right or the right version of Antifa. Right? There's been groups who've run around trying to stop Antifa, but there's been no groups who seek to cause harm and destruction in the name of their political party. Now, some people will say, Yeah, Brandon, but what about January 6th? Okay, I'll give you January 6th. You can have that. You can have that one time that the Republicans broke in the Capitol and paraded around and stayed between the velvet ropes. I'll give you that one. You can have that one. Other than that... There's no violence. There's no hatred, right? You got people like Maxine Waters telling people to go out there and get a crowd around the cabinet members of Trump that they don't like. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, gasoline you station. get out and you create a crowd. 
and you push back on them, and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. See, we don't do that. When I say we, I mean the right, okay? I hate to be divisive, but the, the people who support conservative values don't want to create a scene. They don't, they don't call people, calling all people around to yell at them and tell them they're not welcome. We don't do that. We don't do that. I generally think that the conservative mindset is more accepting than the liberal mindset. And I know it sounds weird to say that because they love to preach about diversity. But you have to look at the actions. You have to look at the way people behave in public. And you have to generalize amongst many groups. And guess who we have to blame, right? Who do we have to blame for all this? Ourselves. Me and you and our neighbors and the people we work with. We all selected these fools. We get exactly who we deserve. And I have officially lost my train of thought. I don't know where I was going. I was just going, and I think I got there. Oh, yes, the mask on airplanes. Yeah. And so... Because of that behavior and because of the mask was split into the left and the right, now we have people telling everyone to accept the viewpoint that's different than theirs. But when the shoes were on the other feet, we weren't being told that. Now, I know there's an argument that, well, they thought everyone was going to die and they were just trying to keep people safe. And now the virus is gone. We don't have any evidence. We don't have any proof. We never did. We never knew anything. We were just being reactive little children about the virus. Speaking of not knowing anything, boy, 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 here you go. I got some new Joe Biden material for you. Man, this is getting good. It's getting good if you don't like having a powerful leader. It's getting good if you like a president who cannot even read from a teleprompter. It's getting good if you like presidents that will not address the press, that they won't sit down for interviews. It's getting good if you like presidents that don't know where to sit and where to stand so their wives have to tell them what to do. It's getting good if you like presidents that can't walk up or down stairs without falling. It's getting good if you like presidents that can't ride bicycles or stumble across the White House lawn with no idea where they're going. Then you know what? It is getting good, my friends. It is getting good. Now, here's a president who can't even deliver a speech from a teleprompter. Now, I don't know what the event is. I could probably look and figure it out at this point. I don't care. I don't care where he is when he speaks. It doesn't matter to me who he's talking to. Okay? I don't I don't exert any energy on remembering who he's addressing. Unless, well, I do with Kamala. Because when she addresses a group of NASA engineers, it sounds like she's talking to five-year-olds. So I do find that entertaining. Uh, in this case, I don't know who he's talking to, but here he is, your president, commander-in-chief of the U.S. military, leader of the free world. Here you go. Now, hold on. I was just I was going to go, but I stopped. This is a poem that he's reciting that was Rich, Richard Blanco was the guy's name who wrote it. And he wrote this poem. I don't know if he wrote it for Obama's inauguration or if he had already written it and he just read it. Now, I went back and I pulled up his version, so you'll hear that in a second. But first, I want you to hear Sleepy Joe just going at it. Here you go. 
Richard Blanco uh, returned to a poem he wrote from the second inaugural of Barack and Me. Second inaugural of Barack and Me. <laughs> one today, it says, and always one moon like a silent drum tapping at every rooftop and every window on every, in, of every county, country. Let me start this over again. Here you go. Start it over, John. You got it. You can I'm do it. So, Intimidated by being here. <laughs> and always one moon, like a silent drum, tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country, county, <laughs> county, all of us facing the stars. Hope, a new constellation, waiting for us to map it, waiting for us to name it together. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's the original artist and performer. Our sky, and always... One moon, like a silent drum tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country. All of us facing the stars. Hope, a new constellation, waiting for us to map it, waiting for us to name it together. Okay, so... Just so you know, this guy, Richard Blanco, this is kind of funny. It ties into something that I just talked about a little bit earlier. In 2013, when he was there reading this for Barack in my second inauguration, it, it, they felt it was very important to indicate on the screen that Richard Blanco is the youngest first Hispanic, first gay inaugural poet isn't that just amazing? We finally have a gay Hispanic young person reading poetry. Okay, you know what? That's fine. But why do we have to announce it? We don't say he's a straight person. Why would we say he's a gay person? I don't understand this. This is the behavior that is mind-boggling to me. We do not need to announce someone's sexual preference, regardless of what it is whether it's straight or gay. And it's not because it makes me uncomfortable or anything like that, but I'm looking for equality. I'm looking for people who judge this guy based on his poetry. That's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want people to brag about who they sleep with and who they don't sleep with and whether or not they're Hispanic because that, has, that is out of their control. They don't control that they're Hispanic. They just control the poetry they write. And if we're going to appreciate their art, if we're going to appreciate what they create, none of that other stuff has anything to do with it. So what's the point of announcing it? What does it matter who this guy likes to sleep with? It doesn't. And always one moon, like a silent drum tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country. And always one moon, like a silent drum tapping at every rooftop and every window on every in, of every county, country. I'm, let me start this over again. <laughs> I'm getting so intimidated by being here. <laughs> and always one moon, like a silent drum tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country. All of us facing the stars. Hope, a new constellation. County, county, all of us facing the stars. Hope, a new constellation. Waiting for us to map it. Waiting for us to name it. Waiting for us to map it. Waiting for us to name it. You know what the best part of this whole thing is? <laughs> 
the best part is that the the poem, the guy who wrote the poem, the the gay Hispanic youngest man to ever perform a poem at an inauguration was there when Sleepy Joe couldn't read it. He was in the audience. <laughs> and he could he was just tripping all over his mouth. And the poor guy was sitting there probably scratching his temples thinking, wow, why didn't you just call me up there, Joe? I'd have read it for you. Richard Blanco uh, returned to a poem he wrote from the second inaugural of Barack and Me. Second inaugural of Barack and Me. Second inaugural of Barack and Me. Not the second inauguration of Barack and myself. The second inaugural of Barack and Me. A poem, one today, says, And always one moon, like a silent drum, tapping at every rooftop. Where at? And every window. What? And every, in, of every county. Country. Country. Let me start this Country. over again. Country. Start over again, Joe. Again, so one more time. Intimidated by me. Don't here. be intimidated. <laughs> and always one moon, like a silent drum, tapping on every rooftop and every window of one country. County. Country. County. Country. All of us facing the stars. <laughs> Hope, a new constellation waiting for us to map it. Okay. Okay. That's enough of that. You get the idea. There's the guy. I hope to goodness you did not vote for this man. I'd be so embarrassed if I wasted a vote on brain dead sloppy Joe. I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or then what? Trump, what happened? And you ain't black. Okay. Well, I guess I'm not black then, Joey Joe. And by the way, Joe. If I ask you to define America, how would you do it? America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. What word is that? I was going to put him in uh, foot. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Joe. If you have not heard yet, there was a meeting this week between the president of Russia, Putin, Vladimir Putin, and the president of China, Xi Jinping, which I don't know if that's the right way to say his name. But whenever I hear people say Xi Jinping, I say Xi Jinping because I feel like that's how they say it over there, over yonder in China. So Putin and Xi Jinping met. And when they were leaving, here's, here's a little dialogue that happened, an exchange between them that was caught on camera. All right. So it was like Putin and Ping were shaking hands and they were leaving. They're going their separate ways. And Putin says to Ping, no, sorry. Ping says to Putin, oh, right now, there are changes, the likes of which we haven't seen for 100 years. And the ones driving these changes are us together, she said, to which Putin replied, I agree. And then they shook hands, and Xi Jinping said, take care, please, dear friend. And then they went about their separate ways. Now, what does this mean? Now, it could be them just flexing. It could be them just trying to saber rattle and pretend like they have all the strength in the world and that nobody can topple them. But there's another school of thought that thinks that there's a group of countries, China, Russia, Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia, and there's one more. That Either way, I can't think of them. But there's kind of a new group of homies that are going to pull their resources, and they're going to try to move away from the U.S. dollar. Now, what does it mean? If you're not too familiar with macroeconomics and how it all works, 
basically everyone uses the U.S. dollar for everything. Whenever they buy oil, when they buy products from other countries, right? So when China buys something from Russia, they've been using dollars for a long time because it's easy to move it. The banks are secure. We know when the money shows up, it's not. there's not a lot of trickery going on in the U.S. banking system. At least there wasn't. But because of that, we've had the ability to control the world. And it's kind of an odd concept, but just think about it like this. Remember, the U.S. can create more money or take up money whenever they want to, right? So if there's a, if there's a lot of money floating out there, it would cause inflation. It would cause the prices of goods and services to go up because there's more money around to buy it. But when we take that money and we create it, and now we send it over to other countries, and they're using it to transact between themselves, and they're cutting us out of the picture, well, that's a huge advantage to us because we can create money use it for whatever we need it for, and then send it out to other countries. Now, that's a very simplified way of explaining it, but that's kind of that's kind of the easiest way to think about it. So what's happening is these, these other countries are, are getting together, and they're saying, hey, we need to get away from the U.S. currency because the U.S. has been in charge of everything. Because they control the currency and the banking system that we all use, they have a lot of power. They can control how things work and what money gets spent on and it's a lot more complicated than, than what I'm saying, but just just trust me that there's a huge advantage that the U.S. has because everyone uses the dollar. It's called the petrodollar. It all started in trading oil. Instead of people trying to keep up with conversion rates, everyone just, just compared the, the value of their currency to the U.S. dollar. Because think about how difficult it would be if you had to exchange from Malaysian dollars to Taiwan dollars to Chinese dollars to Russian dollars it gets complicated. So it's easier if everyone just goes to the U.S. dollars and then uses those. You follow me? But because that has resulted in the U.S. having so much power over everyone, these other dudes are like, hey, we don't need to do that anymore. Let's just pick one of our own currencies or maybe we'll make up our own. And it's called the, the BRICS. They've tried it before, but it's never really stuck. It's not something that can happen overnight. But once, once they pick up steam and they actually start not using U.S. dollars, it will have an enormous impact on the global economy. And so we don't know if the conversation was legitimate or if it was just like being what they call blowhard. Personally, I think that they are, they are in a prime spot to try to dethrone the United States right now. Between what's happening in our economy and our, our uh, monetary system and the policy that we have, and the leadership that we have and the lack of leadership that we have, they see themselves in a prime position to take some shots at the U.S. Because as much as we like to act like how much good we do for everyone, we have our, our own dirty little secrets as well. If a government gets in power in a small country and we don't like it, well, we'll organize a coup. We'll fund someone, a guerrilla group, to go in there and overthrow it. This has happened in, in Nicaragua. This has happened in Panama. This has happened in... Libya, this has happened in Syria, this has happened in Somalia, this has happened in Iraq, this is happening in, I don't know, all over the place. And so these countries are starting to say like, hey, we don't, we don't want to be part of that anymore. We, don't, we want to control our own stuff, we want to use our own money. And I, I get it, right? No one wants to be under the thumb of someone else. Either way, these are the kinds of things we have to, we have to pay attention to. We have to watch out for them. That way, if things start to go bad, you won't be surprised. 
However it is you want to prepare yourself for things changing, well, that's your decision, and you can do it however you want to do it. But at least we have access to this information so that if people do want to reposition the way they do things because something like this might be coming, then they have the ability to do it. And I think that's a good thing. Personally, I am doing a couple things. I don't recommend you following what I do. Everyone's personal financial decisions are their own, and they're all super specific. But uh, I'm taking what little money I do have and taking it out of U.S. dollars. I'm buying treasury bills. I'm buying Bitcoin. I'm buying stocks. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to be holding U.S. dollars because I think between the problems that we have in our banking system and the problems that we're about to have with these foreign countries trying to crash the U.S. bond and treasury market, I, I don't want to be a part of cash. And so that's just me. I would encourage you to do your own research, figure out what works best for you and your family. And if you need advice, contact somebody who can, who can help you come up with some advice. Most financial advisors are free. So enough with the boring financial talk. Now, for whatever reason, people don't like the idea of mimicking people or speaking like them. You know, at the, at the opening of this segment, I was talking like Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. And I don't know why people get so offended when we imitate people or we, we emulate them, right? In my mind, the idea of that is to create a more vivid picture of the situation, right? If you were to close your eyes and listen to me repeat their quotes with no accent, or you close your eyes and listen to me repeat their quotes with a little accent that I think is kind of funny, maybe it's a more vivid picture. Maybe it can create the image in your head that I want you to see. But what I don't get is when people will talk like, you know, my name is Jose, I am from Mexico. And like, well, I, I can say that because I am from Mexico. Like what, you're only allowed to imitate people if you're from the country? No, stop being stupid. Just because you speak like someone and it is in the form of humor does not mean you are laughing at them. I don't understand why this is so hard for people to comprehend. Humor is a very complex topic. It's a very, it's very nuanced. A lot of it is based on emotion and intention, right? So to say that it's not fair or it's not funny to talk like other people I don't want to hear that. Number one, because we're probably going to find humor in two different things. And number two, because you don't know how I feel on the inside. You don't know that just because I think it's funny to talk like someone doesn't mean that I won't help them. It doesn't mean that I won't take them into my house and give them a place to sleep if they're dead broke on the street. So for people to make those connections that, oh, just because you talk like someone with an accent means you don't like them and you don't respect them. You talk about being judgmental. Right? You talk about being very generalizing. Yeah. If you're trying to connect those dots, just because someone talks with an accent and, and the intention is kind of humor or giggly, you assume that they feel a certain way about those people. It's not fair. It's not cool. It's not respectable. And most of all, it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical because you are doing the things that you're encouraging people not to do, and that's judging people. You see, if you're the kind of person who gets angry when a white guy talks like a Pakistanian guy, 
and thinks it's kind of funny because they don't see many Pakistani guys in his country. And so someone who can do voices sometimes can be very funny. If you assume that because they talk like someone and they find humor in it, that they don't like people with that skin color, that's on you. That is on you. I don't care what nobody got to say. Hey, I ain't going nowhere. Yeah. I'm still going to be right back in the streets. You did because I'm innocent. I don't care what nobody, nobody got to say. I don't care what nobody got to say. I don't care. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if you think I want to judge people and I don't like them because they're skin color. That's on you. You don't know me, man. You don't know me. But you don't know nothing about me. It's amazing to me. I really do appreciate the fact that I live in a country where I get to experience a lot of cultures. I, I find it fascinating. I think it's awesome. I think sharing food from different cultures is probably one of the most amazing things that happens around the world. And it really is cool to live in a country where we have lots of that culture, right? I live in a city that's 60% Hispanic, presumably Mexican. And because of that, I can get amazing Mexican food anywhere at any time. And I love that. And there's not a lot of countries. Now, there are cities all over the world where they're highly diverse. Houston's one of them. London's one of them. All the big cities, you can find people from all over the world. But the U.S. is one of the few countries who actually has a large number of immigrants from all over the world. And that's amazing to me. I don't, I don't care what nobody got to say. That is a good thing. Because it exposes people to different cultures and ideas and food and true diversity. And I think that's a good thing. I think diversity should be encouraged. I think we've come to the wrong definition of what people say diversity is. Diversity should be diversity of thought, not skin color. For whatever reason now, diversity means, oh, we should have someone on the board who chooses to sleep with members of the same sex. Because maybe they can provide some insight that that a guy who likes to have sex with girls couldn't provide. Are you freaking kidding me? Listen to yourselves, you silly people. Y'all gonna get me all worked up. I got the high blood. I got to take my blood pills. My, ne my nerve pills don't run out. You know what? Amongst all of the Putin comments of Xi Jinping saying that, yeah, we're friends now. We're gonna change things. Me and Putin, we're gonna take over the world. Amongst all that, Xi Jinping talking about how good of a dude Putin was and how much he liked him. Where are all the people who run around screaming at the Putin sympathizers? Why aren't they calling out Xi Jinping, right? All Listen, if Donald Trump would have sat down with Putin and talked about how they was finna take things over, you know how many people would lose their mind calling him a Putin sympathizer and that he's worshiping the devil. But when Xi Jinping does it, nobody says a word. They all keep their mouth shut. And I don't exactly know why, but it is baffling to me. Could it be, could it be that they don't want to criticize someone who doesn't look like them? Possibly. They think it's not fair that you shouldn't criticize someone who doesn't look like you. Could it be because they don't want to make him mad and they don't want to piss off China at the U.S.? Possibly. I honestly don't know the answer. But I do find it odd. I do find it odd all the people <laughs> remember when COVID first came and Pelosi was like, there's nothing wrong with Chinese people. We're, in fact, we're going to Chinatown tonight and we're going to eat Chinese food. 
Remember when she did that? So maybe she's just, she didn't want to offend the Chinese people. I don't know. But if I said that to Putin, or if Trump would have said that to Putin, you rest assured, all of the people who create all the names for people would have come out and accused me and Trump of being a sympathizer, which is kind of funny, because it reminds me of the word synthesizer, which really, a sympathizer and a synthesizer aren't too far off. And yes, I can say that because I'm from there. It's like the no-no word. The, the no-no word, you know the no-no word, the word that nobody's allowed to say unless they have a certain skin color. How silly is that? How silly is that we are a country who stands on what we call free speech, but there's one word, there's only one word that you're not allowed to say unless your skin is a certain color. That's silly. It's silly to me. It's silly to me that we shame people for words. Imagine going back to the, the 1920s and telling somebody, hey, um, just so you know, like some of those words that you say, even though you don't mean any harm by them, yeah, it'll pretty much be illegal. And, and not only will it be illegal, but there are some people who think that it would be justified in like giving you a beat down for saying those words or that word. That, that to me, tells me it is, it is basically the same thing that's happened in the book 1984 by George Orwell. Like we are headed towards total control. I don't know how long it'll be. I'm not sitting here saying it'll be tomorrow and to go out and buy five-gallon buckets of food. I don't know. But it seems clear to me that we are headed back towards doing things the way that we were doing them before our founding fathers left the United Kingdom. And if you just look at the progression of the way things are going and the expectations, they're going back that direction. It's just weird to me. That's all. That is all I'm going to say about that. I got one more, one more quick thing to talk about. You know, I didn't even mention the hammocks. Golly. All right, we'll, we'll talk about hammocks here in a second. All right, uh, MAGA, the, the MAGA brand, okay? This is a phenomenon that I've been noticing for a while. Well, recently I haven't because I got kicked off Twitter. But here's what's funny to me is that there is now a word for people that are on the right side of the political spectrum and sometimes this word erroneously gets applied to everyone if they're right of center. But for the most part, there's a group of people who support Trump and people call them MAGA, MAGA Republicans. And I just think it's so weird to me. It's so weird that he built a brand so strong and so powerful that even the people who hate him the most, even the people who want to insult him, use it, right? MAGA, the MAGA Trump, MAGA Republicans. And I just think to myself, dude, he has them eating out of his hands. If Trump has taught us one thing, it's that it doesn't matter what they say about you as long as they're talking about you. If they're talking about you, you are good to go. And that's what he's mastered. He's done it so well that they use his brand even when they talk about the people they don't like and the things that they dislike about his brand, they still use it. It would be like me having a bad experience with Nike. Instead of just talking about the shoes and my bad experience, every other word was Nike. And imagine the publicity that Nike would get because undoubtedly there's still lots of people watching who still like Nike. And it just strikes me as odd is that the, the people 
who hate him the most don't realize this. If I could grab those people by their little scrawny, bony shoulders and shake them a little bit, I'd say, hey, if you want to end Trump, you just need to ignore him. You need to not say MAGA. You need to just delete him from all your social media, don't respond to him, and don't engage with the people who really, really like him. If you do this, it will maybe make him go away. It'll decrease his value, but they can't help themselves. There's something inside these people that likes to create names and scream a lot. And I, you know what? I just, I don't get it. Hey, I'm all about nicknames. I think nicknames are great. But I don't think it's cool to create a bunch of silly names for some characteristic about someone that you don't like. Because if you are right-leaning or a Republican voter, you have a viewpoint. There is a viewpoint in your set of viewpoints that they disagree with, and then you will become assigned a name for that, right? Let's just think about them all. Homophobe, xenophobe, transphobe, racist, Nazi, anti-maxer, anti-vaxer, fascist. Did I already say Nazi? I think I already said Nazi. You get the idea. The list goes on forever. Every, every new trait or characteristic that comes about, they'll develop a name for it. And it's, it's a little bit funny. It's kind of entertaining. But at the same time, it's very, very, very childish. If you ask me, it was cold to hell. I should have let film stay and let y'all see that that one that's gonna happen to that white woman for letting that damn baby in that road. I'm still not sure what he says, but man, I do like that clip. I wanna know where to go. I want to go. Give me the go. I want to go. Speaking of gold, if you've ever thought about buying the best hammock in the entire world, you need to go check out worldsbesthammocks.com. Literally the best hammocks in the world. And when I say literally, I don't mean literally. I mean literally. The best hammocks in the world. I've been around the world. I've tried all the hammocks. And I've found the best. And I bring them from Nicaragua and I ship them to you. Where else can you get the world's best anything for like 300 bucks? Nowhere. Nowhere. Not even the world's best salt probably can you get for 300 bucks. You know what I mean? This is a hammock. This thing will last you a lifetime. Don't be bashful. Go buy a hammock for yourself or somebody you really like. You will not regret it. And with that shameless plug endorsement, I will end the program. I do appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. That may be changing soon. I may have some information to share. It might not be for another month or so. I will not share it until everything is finalized because I'm tired of of being the king who shares things, and then nothing happens. So that's where I'm at. Oh, yes, and I almost almost forgot. It's time for this episode's Golden Nugget, the free piece of advice brought to you by worldsbesthammocks.com. Today's piece of free advice is this. Go memorize your credit card number or your debit card numbers. This is something that everyone should do. If nothing else, it will be the handiest 16-digit numbers you've ever remembered. Here's how you do it. Here's a trick. Memorize the first four. Then memorize the second four. Then read the first four and the second four together. So once you memorize the first four, then you do the second four, then you do the first eight. Then you stop with the first eight, and then you remember the third set of four. And then the fourth set of four, and then those two together, and then all 16 together. I bet you, you can have your entire credit card numbers memorized 
in less than 20 minutes of study time. I challenge you to time yourself, memorize your numbers, and, and don't do it all at once. Do it for like four minutes a day. That's the prescription. Four minutes per day in five days, I bet you you have it. Just try it. Try it and let me know. I'd love to hear. There will be it, You will be thanking me one day. If you do it, you'll thank me. I promise. And that's the end of the show for real. Hope everyone has a great week. Go out there. Hold the door open for some old lady. Keep your car clean. Don't eat fast food. Do eat some food you never tried before. Play with your dog. Tell somebody you love them. And no matter what, laugh as much as you possibly can. And keep it true to you.